Welcome to Cherry Beckert's Industrial Manufacturing Podcast. Uh, today, we are focused on the Bipartisanship Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, often referred to as IIJA. Um, we're excited today to dive into the complexities of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and specifically the impact the act will have on the manufacturing and industrial industry in particular. Uh, my name is Ron Wainwright. I'm a tax partner in our strategic tax advisory group, specifically in the tax credits and incentives advisory practice for Cherry Becker. Today, I'm joined uh, by Nita Sanger, a director in our digital advisory practice, who is one of many that have been leading the firm's effort to dissect this historic thousand plus page bill. Welcome, Nita. Uh, hi, Ron. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, as we all know, on November 15th of 2021, President Biden signed uh, the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act into law. It's the largest federal investment infrastructure bill in U.S. history. At a total cost of $1.2 trillion, the package includes a five-year allocation of $550 billion in federal investment and America's infrastructure to upgrades, highways and major roads, bridges, airports, water systems, and additional investments cover expansions and improvement in the nation's broadband access, public transportation, and energy grid infrastructure. It is important to note that almost 80% of the $550 billion in new spending will go to projects funded entirely or primarily by grants. And uh, so today, uh, we'd like to focus on the impacts to the industrial industry, as many of the programs will have a direct effect on industries. Um, specifically, if you were to break it down, there's really 12 areas uh, that we're gonna dive in with Nita in regards to the Infrastructure and Jobs Act and what's most applicable across the 12 programs from water to broadband, roads, bridges, and major uh, projects, uh, including passenger and freight rail and airports and electric vehicles. So uh, a lot to discuss. So now, Nita, let's dive into the how businesses that are interested in taking advantage of what IIAJA has to offer will need to do in order to capitalize on this funding. First off, will you give us a brief rundown on the impact the funding will have on the industrial industry as a whole? Absolutely. Uh, so, so Ron, I just as we talk about the infrastructure bill, the one thing to realize is there's going to be three main industries that are going to get impacted. One is the industrial manufacturing sector, which is actually going to be the most significantly impacted because it's going to see a lot of funding go into that space. So when you think about that, what that actually means is that uh, because that's the industry that's going to provide all the raw materials, all the construction materials, equipment, and help transport the material. Then there's going to be the other is the second industry that would get impacted is the, the construction space, which is where which will actually be the which will provide the people who are going to be doing the work. And then the last but certainly not the least is going to be professional services where you would have architecture and engineering firms that will maybe help do a lot of the planning work. And of course, there's going to be lots of others as well. But with that being said, so let's take a look at why we are saying that the industrial and how they're going to get impacted. 
So as we as you mentioned that there are 12 programs that will impact the industry. So if you if you start breaking that down, so there's as there's going to be those programs that that relate to repairing roads, bridges, uh, you know, upgrading our infrastructure, upgrading our airports, ports, waterways, all of them, the, the people who would get impacted with that are the ones who supply the raw material. That would be for that 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 would be companies that make asphalt or like cables, wires, steels, etc. Because all of there's going to be a huge increase in demand for those products. Then companies that are in the construction equipment space, like companies like, say, Caterpillar and others who make equipment that does a lot of the digging, et cetera, they're going to see a huge surge in demand as work is going to be done almost in every, not in almost, in every state within the U.S. And then it's going to be the transportation companies that actually help uh, move the material around. They're going to see a huge surge in demand. So if you kind of keep that, these are the three sort of areas which are going to get impacted significantly. And then there's going to be the others who are there like car manufacturers or OEM manufacturers. The, the, the impact on them is going to be slightly different because with everything that has been going on, there's a huge push towards, uh, you know, green energy, electric vehicles. So they will then have to figure out what they need to do to shift their current manufacturing and then make sure that they're providing cars, buses, equipment to, to which are more electric vehicles. So and that's going to impact them and then all the manufacturers that provide equipment to them. So in some ways, the entire sector is going to see a huge surge surge in demand, but depending on where they sit within that, they will get impacted. No, excellent comments. I, I think one thing to point out to your comment is that, you know, when you think about the manufacturing and industrial industry, really it's a broad swath of manufacturers that are going to see significant opportunities over the next five to, to 10 years. Um, obviously having a trillion dollars of additional spending in the economy is going to be very positive for really anyone in the supply chain, from suppliers and manufacturers to those in shipping. And as we know, the bill encourages domestic manufacturing procurement. So your comment about the industry's impacted, clearly manufacturing industrial is a critical part. I think one thing that we, we also understand to my five or 10 year comment is, you know, the roadmap uh, between the nine federal agencies and the 12 programs it is interesting. And, and what I mean by that is the Federal Bureau prepares for the disbursements of the $1.2 trillion in program funds. States will first need to apply through competitive grants to the $550 billion comment, while also summarizing their proposition for infrastructure dollars and what is anticipated improving uh, within their, their communities. As we know, the program's funding will be dispersed through a five to 10 year period, and there is likely to be an increased amount of disbursement complexity due to the difference of each program of the 12 when you think about structure and deployment parameters and administration, which to a large degree are, are controlled by the state. Which brings me to my second question. Um, as we hope the investments will ease some of the supply challenges, especially with funding to repair and rethink some of our ports and waterways where we know supply chain was significantly impacted. Do you foresee the driving resurgence to be more reshoring in an effort to shorten existing supply chains? Uh, so, yes, 
I would say that we are certainly going to see uh, an increase in reshoring. So, so let's take sort of a take a look at this and why do we actually say that? So one of the reasons people had moved so much of the manufacturing offshore was for a couple of primary reasons, because there would be lower cost of production and and in some cases you might be closer to where the material was. But what's happening now is some of those key drivers for offshoring are getting obsolete. You know, you know as we've seen in the last few years, we've been living in this what we call a VUCA world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. We saw first COVID hit us, which for like a, the couple of years sort of drove the we had a huge impact on the supply chain and now that we're seeing with that with the recent conflicts in Eastern Europe. So so I think companies are starting to say, what do we need to do to have more control on our supply chain? And which is why this whole thing of reshoring is becoming beginning to become of more interest. But the, the things that are also driving that is where we had talked about human capital being used to develop products and services. Now we're sort of thinking about, hey, how can we use technologies to automate a lot of the processes? So the benefit that was of having cheap labor overseas that's going away with technology replacing human capital to then be able to do some of the more mundane, repetitive tasks. So that takes away one of the factors. The other thing is that also there's going to be like companies are facing other pressures with what you're starting to see is that they're going to have to think about how do you sort of continuously innovate? You release new products. And so, and then this is starting to make them think about how do you do R&D? How do you do manufacturing? How do you sort of manage your warehousing more effectively? All of which are now sort of becoming, so it's, so the need has actually changed, which is why we're starting to see that this is a process that's going to continue, which more and more firms are going to say that, hey, if it's, a, if it makes more sense, why don't we bring things back in? But what I did want to caution is that we do have to still remember that some of the raw materials that are going to be used may still likely be coming from countries outside the U.S., but a lot of the manufacturing could very easily move back to the U.S. So, Nita, what are some of the tangible strategies that industrial businesses can implement now in order to strategically access funds and effectively align uh, the investment with their specific growth strategy? So, so thank you for that. Uh, there are a number of things that they can be doing. So the way we try to say it, you need to think of a systematic approach of how you think about what you need to be doing. And we had developed at Cherry Becker, as I'm sure you're well aware, we have our sort of, we call it the, the Cherry Becker's proprietary 5R process, where you talk about re-examine, reassess, re-engineer, retain, and redo. With that, what I mean is let's take a look at just at what any company in the space is going to need to do. They are going to need to almost look at the external landscape. So keeping in mind what we talked about the build, remember you said that there's 12 programs, each one of them, how the funds are going to be dispersed is going to be different. So as a company, what I should, what anyone who's in the space would need to do and say, okay, so how does my sector get impacted? If, if am I like, depending on what business I'm in, then it's what are the programs that would impact me? Then how will those programs operate? Where is the funding going to come? Who's going to be the one who's going to get the funding? And then where would I need to go to apply to, to get that funding? And then it's almost looking back and saying, once you know where the money is going to be, then they're going to have to develop a very tactical approach of what they need to do to go get the funding. So that's sort of the first piece of it. And then you're going to need to look at your own business and figure out 
what you're going to need to change and then actually go and execute on that so you're able to take advantage of that. So it's it's actually a multi-stage process that needs to be done. Agreed. So Nita, let's let's pivot and, and address uh, the role of digital transformation and and what role it will will have in this process. And and specifically, I'm I'm talking about 4.0 when we think about the manufacturing and, and industrial industry as a whole. So mm-hmm. as we know, when it comes to technology, the infrastructure bill may well facilitate and actually accelerate. The next step in, in manufacturing's powerful trend is occurring right now toward interconnectivity and, and automation. Um, so can you can you um, speak to what you anticipate uh, the bill driving a push, specifics in regards to Industry 4.0? And I'm also assuming those manufacturers who've already begun to embrace digital transformation are likely going to be farther ahead. So they're going to be able to take advantage of the infrastructure dollars much sooner. Is that a correct understanding? Uh, So, yeah, Ron, I think that's an absolutely correct understanding. So uh, because so let's just take a look at what is going on right now within the industry. We you talked we've talked about supply chain being impacted. We talked about that talent is going to be a huge challenge as every every firm we talk to is dealing with talent shortages. Which then what we're seeing is margins are getting squeezed because the cost of labor is going up, the cost of transportation, raw materials, all is going up, which means that all of these things, firms are now going to have to figure out how to do more with less. And so what's going to happen is that that's where digital transformation can come in to figure out first, how can you actually make your operations much more efficient? Are there things which you should not be doing in-house and then they can be done more efficiently outside? Is there alternate way? If Can you use technology to improve your manufacturing? Can you use data and insights to run your business more efficiently? Track your supply chain. Track, you know, uh, how much supply you have left, how much products you have left. So I think that when you start to sort of go go deeper into this, you'll see that actually digital transformation can have a huge positive impact so that you're running your business much more efficiently and are then able to use, so actually be able to do more with less. Uh, so Nita, on that point. Um, We know that technology today seems to be the solution to most problems. So how do you recommend businesses in the industrial industry examine some of the topics we touched on, their people, their processes, their technology, blending as well into their culture so that they ensure, one, they are prepared to take full advantage of this funding? Um, And should they continue to focus on technology? So I would say that absolutely the technology is incredibly important. But the one thing to realize is that you cannot start with technology. Technology is the enabler of change and not the driver. So it, and, and a lot of times people tend to think, oh, we just get a technology and it's going to solve all our problems. What we actually suggest is that you need to almost take a much more holistic approach. So as we talked about as for the infrastructure build, one of the first things we're going to need to do is to say, okay, what is it, what, what's happening in the industry? What is our firm's strategy to take advantage of this? What do we want to be doing? 
Then when after you do that, then you're going to have to look at it more in the thing of how do you go to market? Who are the clients you're going to be going after? What should you know? What are their needs? What channels are you going to use? Then what products and services that you as a firm want to offer? Just given that if you've even if you've got you've got products like you're providing materials, but there's going to be other things that you're going to be able to be able to provide to the companies that you're providing your materials to, which would help them be more efficient. If you have data insights that you're going to be able to give to them and then how you actually operate. So technology plays a critical role. It's almost fundamental to what you do. It's almost like and, and as is like analytics, but you have to think of a much more holistic approach and you need to look at what's your strategy how you go to market, what products and services are going to offer, and then how do you operate as a business? So I think for the whole industry, this is a very interesting time, but it's going to be a time of change. And what we suggest is you, it helps to take an, a, an approach that looks at it in a much more holistic fashion than just focusing on the tiny piece of technology. Very interesting uh, comments and, and points, Nita. Um, so in summary, I think what I've heard today in our discussion is really four key areas um, for our manufacturers and in our industrial uh, clients to begin uh, to think about is first, they need to prepare for a flood of demand, uh, particularly in a very uh, specific areas through the 12 programs, as well as they need to, which we didn't touch on, uh, that will impact them is simply um, the inflation. Um, clearly, the sheer size of this bill provides a massive boom for manufacturers, all very positive news, uh, but they must begin to prepare uh, to your readiness comment and figure out what their so-called go-to-market strategy will, will, will be. I think the second area that I heard is they need to count on hiring implications that ultimately could boost equity, but we know we're in a very competitive market in the manufacturing industrial industry, uh, so to speak, a war for talent. Um, I also heard, you know, to expect some relief for the supply chain when you think about reshoring, because as we know, the infrastructure bill comes with $17 billion to really repair and reimagine our port infrastructure and our waterways. Uh, now that's going to be some time in the making, but as manufacturers, well, we know this money is overdue and hopefully it'll get there within the next five years. So that funding will produce the desired result of alleviating the disruptions and bottlenecks that we have led or lived through during, during COVID, as well as it'll further accelerate the, the reshoring. And then I think your last comment is, is absolutely on point. When it comes to technology, I think the infrastructure bill will accelerate and, and facilitate a lot of next steps in, in manufacturing's powerful trend toward interconnectivity and automation, often referred to as, you know, 4.0. Um, so when we think about uh, this topic, one of the things I do want to point out is that uh, Nita, along with one of her uh, colleagues, Bob Mish, have published a, uh, an article, um, and it, it really does walk us through uh, the nuances of the bill. Um, and we would encourage you to find that at cbh.com. Uh, we'd also encourage you um, further to this podcast 
um, some of our related guidance, um, as well as some of the things that we'll be uh, focused on in future podcasts when you think about the the infrastructure bill and the $1.2 trillion that will move into uh, our economy over the next five and 10 years. So we hope you will reach out to continue this conversation and schedule really a, a design thinking session uh, with Nina and, and her co uh partner, so to speak, in, in the uh, digital media space, uh, Bob Mish. Um, we will be furthering uh, additional articles, but I want to pause and, and thank Nita for her uh, insight and her points and comments today. Uh, and again, we would encourage you to, to go uh, to the article that uh, Nita and Bob wrote, um, beginning to really drill into the infrastructure bill. Um, but I think the readiness uh, and the preparation is critical uh, in regard to our related guidance. So thank you, and you all have a great day.